0: Hello, it's David here. Subscribing to The Leader means you'll never miss out on our exclusive news commentary and analysis. And this podcast is recorded on the day of release, so you're always getting the latest for your commute home or however you listen to your podcast. Just hit the subscribe button on your provider. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. <coughs> Hi, I'm David Marles and the UK had the highest level of excess deaths in Europe during the coronavirus pandemic.
1: A lot of people have criticised the government for being too slow to act. It's hard now to say, well, why are they being too fast to act? And I think ministers could pretty robustly say to the public, look, you want to be kept safe, so this is what we're doing.
0: Our political editor Joe Murphy on that and a major real change for how long the infected must self-isolate
2: and... The Met is saying that cyclists with their headcam footage, motorists with dashcam footage, if they see anything, pass that on to police and the police will take enforcement action.
0: Home Affairs editor Martin Bentham on the Met Police launching a war on drivers who put cyclists at risk. Taken from the Evening Standard editorial column, this is the leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, why does the UK have such a high excess deaths toll? This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the Axis Startup Angel Competition. Good luck. Some experts had been predicting it for a while. Now the Office for National Statistics has made it fact. Britain suffered the worst excess death rate in the whole of Western Europe during the coronavirus pandemic. England tops the table with a death rate 7.55% above normal. That's higher than Spain's 665 increased rate, Scotland's third on the list with a 511 difference. Before the figures were announced, the government revealed it would be extending the length of time that people with coronavirus symptoms will have to self-isolate from seven to ten days. Speaking to LBC, Health Secretary Matt Hancock said it followed developments in scientific understanding of the virus and how long it remains infectious.
1: Where the science changes and um, uh, and we learn more, so we will change the policy. And um, the the challenge is that, Um, uh, for how long do you need somebody who has tested positive, so we know has got the virus? Because, of course, if you get symptoms, then you should immediately get a test. Mm. Um, uh, How long should they uh, isolate for? And this is essentially a clinical decision.
0: Well, our political editor, Joe Murphy, is here. And, Joe, we'd expected the rules on self-isolation to change for a few days. Why is it happening now?
1: The reasoning is that there is a low but tangible, to use the phrase of one of the senior health and medical officers, a low but tangible possibility that you may still be infectious between seven to nine days after the onset of the illness. And that would be after you notice symptoms. And Our understanding is there's no specific trigger that caused this policy change except the chief medical officers, who include Chris Whitty and Jonathan Van Tam, wanted to do this now because at the moment we are sort of between the waves. The prevalence of the disease is low and if there is going to be a second spike, they want to get ready for it.
0: How worried are they about this second spike? Boris Johnson's spoken about it. When are they expecting it?
1: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? We've had, over the last few days, a steady increase in the sort of grimness of the warnings from ministers um, climaxing today in a very Churchillian phrase from Matt Hancock, the health secretary, who says, I see a second wave rolling across Europe and we have to protect our shores from it. I've got to say that David Nabarro, who's the World Health Organization envoy on this, says oh, it's not a second wave we're seeing in Europe, it's a, a recurrence, or it's a sort of some spikes um, remaining from the first wave. And there is, among some circles, some skepticism, I have to say, that uh, things are quite as threatening in Europe as they seem. We've had Chris Bryant today telling us that. He thinks Matt Hancock is is slightly exaggerating the uh, the, the second-wave threat, um, perhaps to distract from the, the other big story today, which was figures from the ONS showing that we've had the highest excess deaths rate anywhere in Europe.
0: I was going to bring those up, and I wonder how places like Spain, which are on the quarantine list, are going to take that kind of news, Joe.
1: I think there'll be a bit of a hollow laugh from Spain... Um, because they do feel badly treated by Britain. Um, I have to say that uh, it's very difficult to... A lot of people have criticised the government for being too slow to act back in March and early April when, when, when lockdown was um, imposed finally. Uh, it's hard now to say, well, why are they being too fast to act? And I think ministers could pretty robustly say to the public, look, you want to be kept safe... So this is what we're doing. But of course, Madrid would point out that uh, its islands really have very much lower rates than many parts of Britain. In fact, a lot of British people would be safer on Lanzarote than they would in Liverpool.
2: Next. If the feeling is that at any point there could be somebody with a bit of video footage capturing what you've done wrong then that might alter the mentality of at least some people who are prone to deliberately go and behave in a stupid fashion in their car
0: the evening standards martin bentham how met police are coming to the aid of the surging cycling scene the number of cyclists killed on britain's roads in the first month of lockdown was double the average normally seen And that's despite fewer cars on the roads. As restrictions lift, cycling is surging, and so are concerns about safety. The Met Police is now vowing to impose a new clampdown on dangerous driving, and our editorial column says it's a welcome move. Survey after survey has shown that worries about safety are a deterrent to a significant number of people who might otherwise be tempted to use two wheels to get around. In response, the Met has told the Evening Standard that it is stepping up its enforcement action against speeders and it is looking to prosecute, fine or give words of advice to other motorists who put lives of cyclists at risk. It also wants the public to help by submitting headcam or dashcam footage whenever reckless driving is spotted. We urge people to respond and come forward with footage as requested. Lockdown gave a vision of a less polluted, more pleasant city that a cycling revolution can help to preserve. It must be delivered. Well, joining me now is our Home Affairs editor, Martin Bentham. And Martin, the Evening Standard has been... Highlighting the cause of cycling for a few days now, it's interesting to see that the police are getting right behind them.
2: Yes, it is, absolutely. What it's doing is saying that it wants to tackle ever more robustly, really, dangerous driving on our, on our roads in London. Some of that's about speeding at, at vastly excessive speeds, which obviously affects everyone. More specifically to do with cyclists, which include uh, dangerous overtaking, close passing where somebody comes far too close to a cyclist and that type of conduct and actually a general aggressive driving that's designed to sort of harry and make life unpleasant for uh, cyclists. There's a, a small number of motorists who behave that way, not very many but there are some and so what the Met is saying is that they want obviously to make our roads safer, there are more people behind the roads every year than there are from things like terrorism and so on it remains a problem and it remains unfortunately a problem for cyclists there's been um, a death recently in Newham another man critically injured recently in Catford and unfortunately these incidents still occur
0: and the police are also asking for cyclists help they're hoping that people will use these kind of GoPro cameras on their helmets aren't they which can be quite useful in evidence in court
2: Well, this is one of the most interesting things. In fact, what's happened is that the Met is saying that, that cyclists with their head cam footage, motorists with dash cam footage, if they see anything untoward in front of them, that they should then pass that on to police and the police will take enforcement action. They say that the there's been a vast increase in that type of footage being submitted to them. Uh, obviously a vast number more people have got that type of device and that they're taking enforcement action in about two thirds of the cases when they can track down the culprit and, and find out what they've done. And that can be obviously things like prosecution fines. It can also be you know, words of advice as they describe it, education term warning them that they've done because some people who do these things are just being careless and not thinking enough. And, as the, the Metropolitan Police uh, Detective Superintendent Andy Cox, who's the head of road safety, said, said to our paper today, <clears throat> yeah, this could be a game-changing thing because, of course, traditionally, motorists have looked around, thought there's no police officer around, no police car visible, I can drive a bit faster, or whatever it might be. Clearly now, if the feeling is that at any point there could be somebody with a bit of video footage capturing what you've done wrong, then that might alter the mentality of at least some people who are prone to deliberately go and behave in a stupid fashion in their car.
0: Martin, you're a cyclist yourself. Do you feel safe when you're out on the roads?
2: Well, I, I don't worry about it too much. Obviously, you think about it, um, but then I'm maybe not typical. <laughs> there are certainly plenty of people. Yeah, there obviously are occasions where you think that the situation is is problematic. There are certainly road junctions and i mean i try to avoid busy roads i try to avoid major roundabouts where it's you know very hazardous to go around them for obvious reasons and people turning off and coming across you and that type of thing so to a degree if if you can and i usually can the routes i tend to take allow me to avoid some of the worst places in london but there are plenty of pretty hideous spots that need to be addressed frankly and this is obviously part of it that there are plenty of surveys around showing that quite a lot of people who would like to get on their bikes theoretically are put off by the the risk i think sometimes when people actually get used to cycling that risk dis- that that sort of fear disappears but obviously it's a big obstacle to people getting on their bikes and therefore it's important both that the police are tackling problematic driving but also that better facilities are put in place for, for cyclists in particular cycle lanes Routes that are segregated from the traffic so people aren't going to encounter uh, cars and, in particular, large HGV vehicles, which are the most lethal things. And important that more of those segregated lanes put in place and that also they connect so that they don't sort of run along a route and then stop halfway and put people into a dangerous situation. They need to be routes that people can actually use on a practical basis, link into each other, create a proper network, and have a really bold vision of how you can deliver. A framework of cycling and, and cycling roads and networks that people will actually be confident to use in sufficient numbers to make this city a greener, healthier place. Because, of course, cycling helps to promote individual health. It helps promote everybody's health by reducing the amount of pollution in, this, in the atmosphere from people being in their cars. So all of those things are conducive to a better life as we saw at the start of lockdown of course when the roads were clear of traffic and the only people out and about more or less were people cycling around or walking around and uh, life was you know, unpleasant in other respects but, <laughs> but very pleasant in that respect.
0: And that's the leader. You can keep up with all the latest developments with the Evening Standard's live blog, which you'll find at standard.co.uk. We also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm.